Welcome to Big 20, a roundtable discussion where GMs from all walks of life discuss gaming and field questions from viewers. Hosts this week are Scrimerva from Shadowcasters Network, Dan from Fear the Boot, and Callie from Riff and Rabble. This week we are talking about Session Zero Best Practices. Let's start with Callie. Uh, well, I've only uh, done one session zero so far, my own. Um, my very first DM experience, I did a lot of research <laughs> leading into things to make sure that I was prepared to run a game the best way that I could. So I uh, looked up a lot of online resources and found in particular um, the blog from Sly Flourish online, who had recently written up about Storm King's Thunder, which was the one I was running. So I talked to my players um, very intensely about what it was that they wanted in their game. Um, especially because one of my players had never played D&D before and I had not DM'd. So I think expectations was a very important topic for us as a group. Um, figuring out like play style, if people wanted to be more role play, more combat, like what level of depth they wanted to go into in terms of storytelling and that. And everybody seemed to be on the same page fairly easily. So that made running the session zero very helpful. <laughs> um, we didn't encounter very much trouble in terms of like uh, conflicting ideas or expectations. Um, I think it was more just concerns about like rules because two of the members had not played 5e and one of them had not played at all. And so I think they were concerned about how to set up their character and things. And I basically just told them, you know what, let me worry about the rules for now until you kind of get the hang of things and just build the character the way that you want your character to be and play them the way you want to play them. And we'll figure out the statistics as we go. Like we'll worry about the rules when we get there. Um, so it was a pretty, uh, easy session zero for me in terms of uh, keeping people on track in that. I think everybody was very excited about the game, so that probably helped as well. Um, we went over things like, um, well, yeah, I guess expectations were the, the biggest topic. Uh, everything else just kind of came as they thought of it um, and things that we've tackled since then. So. Not a whole lot of <laughs> detail that I'm afraid I can supply for that, but sounds like you rocked it for your first time. Well, I uh, I have a great group of players too, so That's that awesome. definitely helps. That's awesome. <laughs> um, well, if if you don't mind me jumping in, Dan, because um, I can too. give you an example of how not to run a session <laughs> zero. Because the very first time I did it. Um, it was also for a 5e campaign and uh, I kind of did it almost individually with everybody. Like I was like, okay, tell me about your character. This is the world. And I sort of sent them sort of the context and there's some group discord chat as well. Um, and then what I did on the very first session, instead of actually making a session zero, I ran a, um, I gave them characters and I ran a session that happened in the past like it was like this old fabled story that everyone would have heard about. It was a very famous story and they played these famous characters um, to set up the actual campaign. Um, so that in itself wasn't necessarily a bad idea, but to kind of use that as the session zero, um, it gave some context, but it was not really, it didn't answer things like expectations, what kind of commitment, uh, we were looking for how long we're going to be running this game um, campaign flavor. I guess we, that answered it a little bit. Um, there was a lot of things that kind of I had to stumble upon over the next few months um, and some points where I, I got a little bit frustrated and because the expectations weren't super, super clear. Um, but I have, I had a great group of players. I was lucky to be able to sort all that out as we went. Um, so yeah, I think having it time to be out of character and talk about the actual game and how it's going to work is really valuable. 
this was something that within my group we realized i think relatively early in our gaming experience because we've always had i not just me but the the group of people that i've historically played with have always had sort of uh, a mind for deconstruction why does something work the way it works or fail the way it fails or, or whatever and in looking at our games we started to realize that the majority of the issues we were hitting i mean not a hundred percent but 75 90 percent of the problems we were having is that the game itself had never been set up for success that we came into the game with really nothing discussed and we would play the game and then it's no different than just putting any four random things in a box and expecting it to work it didn't work it didn't make anything useful uh and when we started to see character and character conflict or disagreements about the social boundaries of the game or disagreements about where the plot was headed or whether it was acceptable to have a betrayer in the party or not and all these kinds of things, it's like we should have been answering this up front. Um, and I, I don't want to dominate the show right this second by uh, jumping ahead to this, but this is a topic that as a show you'll fear the boots kind of hung its hat on is trying to work through the steps that we found help most to set the game up for success, uh, to give it, you know, the tools that you need and the structure it needs to actually get some more useful. So do you, sorry, do you have like both of you, do you like over your experiences, have you developed like a list or a general, sort of structure of how you run the um, session zeros now to try and get the most out of it? Well, I would say there's a couple things that I always need to cover, even if it's, and I, I don't, um, most of the games I run are a little shorter now. Um, but to me, the number one thing is boundaries. What are people comfortable with? How dark can you go? Are you... If, if you if there's something somebody is not comfortable with, I just want to know ahead of time and I won't incorporate it. Um, and uh, the other thing that is really, really key is they need to have they need to make a reason to be there. Um, if you if I'm trying to drag a PC into the story, then they haven't they don't have it baked in, then that is a huge, a huge challenge. It's a, it takes a lot of energy as a DM to do that, and I don't feel like it's really worth their time. So those are the two things that I that I think are the most important. I don't know, what about you, Dan? That's pretty close to my experience. Is when we started using a group template, we had a version of it that we had written years and years back that I don't have anymore. Uh, when we started doing the podcast, we came up with a new version of it that I have since expanded on, I guess about a year or two ago, and I'm intending to consolidate all of that into a second edition of our group template, which uh, you can find through our show at some point. But no, I completely agree with one of the early issues we hit that's been there in all of the group templates is the GM has enough to worry about. You know, the GM has to write the game, has to run the NPCs, run the plot, deal with balance, deal with rules. It is not the GM's job to also convince you that you ought to be there and be participating. And so one of the first things that we ask when, you know, we look at a, a session zero is I, as the GM, want you as the players to tell me why your character is there, what it is your character wants, and what it is that's keeping you with the other characters in the party. You know, it's, there's something, there's, there's a trope in D&D particular that I really freaking hate, which is the first five minutes of game one is you guys are in a tavern and there's a whole bunch of really interesting looking people that just have this aura of player characterness around them. <laughs> and you have to be drawn to them for no particular reason to suddenly take up arms and risk your lives on causes where you can't even fundamentally agree on the outcome. And it might work for a scripted story and an unscripted story more often than not, it falls flat on its face. And so, I mean, it's okay if there's disagreement, it's okay if there's tension within the party, but 
I don't want to deal with that first five minutes of, of that stereotype of you're in the tavern. You tell me while you're together. You know, you guys tell me how you are already together. So even if we're going to go with the tried and true trope of you wake up in a tavern, that's fine. But you guys have already known each other for six months. And you know why you are together. You know what makes your, your party gel. And when you actually get out and play it, it doesn't always hold up. Things evolve upon contact with the anime. But, you know, it's, it's nice to at least have some idea that we're not going to be... I'm not having to try as the GM to convince you that you care about the otherwise perfectly balanced group of individuals that just so happens to be sitting in the same tavern, you know, drinking the same meat or whatever your stereotypical fantasy drink is. Um, one of the systems that I have played that I think has the best way around that is called diaspora. Um, and you basically, you sit around in a circle and you create backstory with the people beside you. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you create a defining event and you, um, talk about which character was at that defining event and how they influenced you. You can pick one of them as like a mentor or somebody who helps you learn something. And it's, uh, it's about a four or five step process. And by the end, you're all woven together into a really cool um, backstory that can kind of be slotted into your personal backstory as well as the, the context on a whole. So I highly recommend tracking down diaspora. If you, if you have problems with that and you can modify it, however you like, um, yeah, Fate has something a little bit similar because uh, they've got, at least in certain versions of Fate, that after you get past your your primary concept in the first uh, trait or two, it starts to ask you, what are some traits that you have? And they must be tied to another party member. And if you know how to do that, well, mm -hmm. you will avoid a circular reference. So let's say you have five players, A, B, C, B, and E. You don't want player A tied to B, B tied to C, C tied to A. Because now D and E are effectively a completely separate party. So you have to make sure that there's at least some line you can follow from any player to any other player. You uh, want clicks. Yeah, exactly. That's what it becomes. You don't want clicks. You don't want sub-factions. Mm -hmm. But fate encourages that as well. Um, it's something that we ask in, in our pack. It is, you know, how did these people meet? What experiences have they shared? What are they up to when the first game starts? You know, you tell me where you're at and why you're there. Uh, so I don't have to convince you that this was your idea. Um, and I think there's any number of good ways to approach this. The, the, what you described in Diaspora sounds great. Uh, cool. What I've seen in Fate Works, you know, whatever it is. But damn it, ask those questions. Did you do that in your game, Callie? Did you get them to set up connections? Um, I... Definitely laid it as an option. I said, you know, all of your characters or some of your characters can know each other. Um, they don't have to. They don't want to, I guess is what I, mm -hmm. <laughs> I said. And so only half the group knew each other. Um, but because everybody was a little uncomfortable with the system, we ended up doing kind of a prequel uh is what i called it um a prequel session where it was i basically ran a one shot where the group met um it still had the That's kind fun. of initial awkward like mm -hmm. oh people are meeting for the first time but it was um it wasn't in a tavern um it was uh, on the road and they were all kind of minding their own business but they happened to be intersecting at the same time when a distraught farmer came to the road and was like oh my son is missing please somebody help and they came and helped and then they found out that they had some things in common and um I probably could have done it better, but... It, no, it's uh, not a bad idea, though. It's, it's like actually, that. it's an approach that uh, we've tried with mixed success. So, I mean, I, mm -hmm. I know it can work if it's done right, uh, which is to do what I'm going to call an isolated session one, mm -hmm. where you have a session one where your only goal is to have the party meet up to give them something to deal with. And then by the end, that, end of that, to have them together and have at least one story under their belt. Yeah. And the reason I'm calling it an isolated session one is because you don't tie it to the main plot. 
So by the end of it, what you found out is that this entire setup is just not going to work at all. These people don't get along. This is a, a terrible, hideous mess. Then you can just say, you know what, this didn't work. We're going to scrap this. And that does not in the process sink whatever I'm setting up for my campaign. You know, my campaign is about defeating the nine eldritch evils. And this was about helping a farmer drive off some goblins. You know, it, it has nothing to do with anything we're going to do in the future. And if it fails, who cares? It's disposable. Right. There's a question from Young One Two, uh, wanting to know about uh, the limitation of subject matter and how it affects the quality of the game. Uh, does it affect the the artistry of the game or the art uh, itself, um, or you know, is how much does uh, limiting things uh, affect your games? It's going to vary from group to group and person to person. Um, when I was thinking this through, I, I came up with roughly four steps that I would work through in a session zero or in game prep. The first one is to describe the game concept. I want to play a, uh, we're going to play a mercenary company in Battletech using the MechWarrior RPG, okay? Or we're going to play a group of adventurers from the Church of Torm in D&D, whatever it is. High concept for the game. The second one, which is what he's asking about, is what are the out-of-character intentions, which I'll come back to in a second. The third one is what are the in-character intentions? Who are the characters going to be? What are they going to want? What are they going to do? What keeps them together? Uh, and then the fourth one is what I just talked about, which is tearing down part of session one by explaining how these people got together, why they stay together, which, per Callie's suggestion, can also be handled in an isolated session one. But going to the out-of-character intentions, I, I'm going to give two comments on that. When I, as a game master, sit down with a game idea, if I have an idea that is so likely to get scratched as is untenable by someone in the group for reasons that are thematic limitations, I'm not sure why I wrote that game in the first place. You know, if, if I realize certain words I'm not supposed to use and I'm not on my podcast, so I'll, I'll gerate myself here. But, you know, if your game centers around a highly divisive or offensive topic, and I think we as adults know what those are, I mean, one that this isn't a landmine, any reasonable individual would know this is going to upset somebody. Here's a tip don't make that the center point of your game. Now, as for those landmines you don't know about, um, you know, I, I think, yes, it is fair to say some topics ought to reasonably be on the table, but I would recommend you ask about those pregame. Say, look, what in, we have a structured questionnaire we use, and once again, there's many ways to work through this, but to ask people, what is it you want to deal with in this game? What are the topics you don't want to talk about? What are the places you don't want me to go as a GM? You know, what is it you're hoping to get out of this game, even just as a player, you know, not per se as a human being with trauma or whatever, but, you know, what does the GM want to get out of this game? And can that limit the game? Oh, yeah. I mean, it can to an extent. But if there's a landmine that's sinking the game, either the game master had a really messed up concept to begin with, uh, you know, maybe playing Sesame Street Fatal wasn't the best <laughs> idea for, you know, the game you're running down at the survivor shelter. Uh, but <laughs> on the flip side, I mean, you know, if somebody comes to the table with something that's hard to deal with. You know, they say, look, I don't want to see any violence at all against people in general. It's like, well, this is a D&D &D game. You know, we're going to kill people. Maybe play a different game then. Yeah. Right? Like if that person, maybe that d and not their game. <laughs> yeah, you maybe say to them, look, maybe we as a party, maybe we as a team can change this up. Or maybe, honestly, nothing against you. We'll see you on Friday for beers. But maybe this isn't the right hobby for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fair to say. What do you guys think? Well, I think... Um, Asking about if it affects the overall quality of the game, I, I, I see where you're talking about. Like, if you in game you come up against artificial boundaries, um, 
that feel false when you're like, say somebody doesn't like violence against animals. So you have no, absolutely no violence against animals, but you're in some sort of situation where that would make a lot of sense. And it's just not happening for inexplicable reasons. Um, I can see, I understand the question that you're asking, like, does it make it less lower quality? But I think if you know that those are the things to avoid, you hear it from your players ahead of time, you're not going to create a situation where those things are going to going to be the natural outcome um and it kind of does f- force you to be a little more creative um if you if you don't allow victim violence how do people make other people do things if you um if slavery doesn't exist in your world what does that what does that look like we always that's kind of a trope we're very used to so you kind of have to think a little outside the box um but uh at the end of the day the quality is the experience of the player and if a player is having a bad experience because um, something is traumatic or or they can't have fun when that specific thing's happening, then uh, that I think has a more severe effect on the quality. Not that dark games should never happen and lots of people um, enjoy going into the darker aspects of things. And that's fine if you have a table that's comfortable with that. Um, but as long as you're checking and making sure the whole time. Yeah, I, yeah, think, that, 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 I, I think that's absolutely right because you're the goal of a game is to entertain a group of people. You know, my goal as a game master is not to shock someone and send them home traumatized. Um, and if there is some kind of life trauma that we need to avoid, then we can avoid that. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that I've also found that helps is if somebody says um, there's a topic they don't want to deal with, let's say, for example, we'll use slavery as an example. And let's say that we're running a Deadlands game set in the uh, historic pre-Civil War South. And I think there's a middle step you can ask, well, okay, what if we don't deal with it in detail? Well, what if it's kind of an off-camera thing? And we understand it's there. Right. But we're, you're not going to... It's, it's off-camera violence. You see it in movies all the time. Mm-hmm. Where a guy swings a sword, they cut away, you see the people cringe, they cut back and you see the body slumped on the floor. You know what occurred, but there was no gratuity that was inserted into that scene. And mm-hmm. some people will still say no to that for whatever reason, which is that's that's fine. You know, everyone's allowed to have their limits. But in my experience, a lot of people said, okay, that is okay. Um, and so I think it's at least worth asking the question in a non-confrontational way of saying, look, you can say no completely, but what if instead of a hard X on this, we just kind of put, you know, we're just going to fade this into the background where, yeah, you understand it's occurring, but we're not going to explore that. That's part of the importance of the session zero is to find out where those boundaries lie. Um, because if people aren't comfortable, they're not going to be having fun. So they're not going to be appreciating the game or the art, right? So the art really doesn't have any value if people aren't appreciating it. Um, so, yeah, if finding those boundaries is important so that you can find where that comfort is, whether you can input it into the game in some manner or not at all, and find out how to work around that, like Scrim said. You know, like, I don't particularly like horror movies. There are, I'm sure, some very well-made horror movies out there, but I don't have fun watching them. It doesn't decrease their value in general, yeah. but it decreases their value to me because I'm not going to have fun watching them. Yeah, there's uh, in chat. I've actually had chat up this time, which I didn't the last time I was on. And Palmer JWM, which I'm just going to go ahead and make up as Palmer Jaw Man. Um, <laughs> or it could be Palmer Jaw Woman, I guess. Just Palmer, I think is fine. Okay, we'll just go with Palmer. But. He, she, Palmer said something that I think is is great here. I think that avoiding a topic won't impact the overall artistry of the game. And and this is where the great focus is. GMs are not telling their story. They're leading the group and telling their story together. And I, I this is something that we've talked about a lot on our show, and I, I know we're not unique in this regard, that gaming is a collaborative experience. That if a GM really wants to tell their story and that's how they see it, that's great. Write a book. You know, this is a collaborative story. And if the players cannot both participate in and impact the direction and content of my story, quote unquote, then why play a role playing game? You know, we've not done this. 
and or not done what we set out to do. And so I, I think that Palmer's absolutely right about uh, giving that that boundary or that reminder that this is supposed to be a collaborative experience. Um, there was uh well, let me pause there. Did, did you guys want to comment on that? Because I have another. There's another comment in uh, chat here I really like, but. I, I agree completely. Um, the GM telling their story was actually pretty much what bombed my very, very first D&D experience. <laughs> and <laughs> when the players tried to say, hey, we're not having fun, the DM self-destructed and just could not handle it. And Anyone whose players have ever derailed your carefully plotted oh session, goodness. please raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a rite of passage, and that's yeah. it's it's how you survive that that separates yes. the wheat from the chaff in terms of GMs. But it's made for some great storytelling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the other one I want to call it here is Angry Cheese Toast, which, by the way, I don't know if that's uh, some kind of. Like Canadian slang for grilled cheese sandwich. Love it. Oh, I'm, I'm going to call it that from now on. Angry cheese toast. Okay, so as a man, <laughs> as a man who loves his grilled cheese. In fact, uh, I, I've got a good friend whose like three year old daughter suggested her restaurant idea to me, which is you can come in in the evening and all they sell on the menu is grilled cheese for ten dollars. And I'm like, well, that's kind of expensive. She's like, yeah, but we then give you a coupon for free breakfast the next morning. And I'm like, this is everything I need out of a restaurant. <laughs> but angry cheese toast, what he's he she like what this what angry cheese toast, what my grilled cheese sandwich is talking about here, <laughs> is uh they're saying that what they did in one of their games was instead of simply doing it in questionnaire format, they actually had the people role play their characters while the character was interviewed almost like it was like speed dating. And so uh, I, I don't know in detail. So like I can think of all kinds of ways to do this. And this is a neat idea. I've never thought of this. But so first of all, one of the things people say is I don't really know my character until I play them for a little bit. Well, this gets you past that. You, you're having to play them. You're feeling them out. You're feeling out their voice. You're finding who they are. You could be interviewed by the GM and... Uh, my uh, grilled cheese here gave me some questions that he's, he, she said ranged from, uh, you found a lost child, will you help them? That almost sounds like the uh, Boyd Kampf test. To how do you like your carrots cooked? And I think you could even go beyond the GM asking questions that help them both see the character in terms of values, but also in terms of interests. And mm -hmm. I mean, in one of our earlier group templates, we asked people what their favorite food was. And if they said, you know, steak served rare, you started to worry about the depth of the character. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can also, you could allow the other characters to interview each other. And at this point, you start to find out with a little tidbit of role playing and an uncontexted question asking where people click or you even get ideas of say, oh, you wouldn't save the child because of this. Well, that could kind of play into some tension between your character and mine because I went through this. So let's develop that. So I think that's kind of a, that's a really neat idea. I yeah, that's really cool. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if that would work for first time role players or not. Like I'm thinking of um, my brand new character, player, not character, <laughs> my brand new player. Um, I like it's interesting. I have no idea if that would have helped or not. That's interesting. Maybe I'll try that <laughs> next time. See how that goes. Get to know. Yeah, if you know your players, you'll know who's going to be comfortable. But sometimes you don't know your players. Sometimes they're they're new. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I could know my player as a person, as a friend, but I don't know what they're like as a as a role player. I don't know what they're like in Fair in a yeah game right so um yeah and maybe they don't want to play something similar to what they're like or maybe they want to <laughs> try something that's radically different from what they are i'm not sure i like that idea though um i i have a, a question for you both uh that is almost before session zero but how much do you allow your players and their backstory to influence your setting 
Um, and I think this is different for a homebrew. You can kind of do whatever you want, but especially if you've got a pre-published adventure, how do you, um, if somebody has some, some magical artifact that they, they carry with them at all times, like, is that like just a quirky thing about them? Do you incorporate it into the story somewhere between? Well, I, I encouraged my players to be creative. Um, I think everyone was a little, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but just kind of feeling out where, where their creative boundaries were. And I don't know if I made them feel that there were boundaries or not, but, um, I think because they we were playing in an established world, you know, we we're playing a pre-written campaign yeah. um, that they felt like they had to work themselves into that world. And I told them, like, you know, I will do whatever I can to work it into the story. Um, this is a story about your characters. They just happen to be on this particular adventure, but it's still about your characters. And so your backstory is important. And, you know, things that are important to your characters are important to the story. So um, I think at first they were kind of like just dipping their toes in and like, what, what about this? Or is there something in the world that, that could work with, with this maybe? And it's like, yeah, 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 we can do that. You know, maybe there isn't, maybe there is, I will make it, uh, you know, let's make it together. Um, as it's gone on, I think they're getting a little more comfortable, but also now their characters are kind of established and their mm -hmm. backstories are much more flushed out. So there's a lot less of that, but I am all for characters, like players coming up with things for their backstories. And I am more than willing to work it into the, story because a lot of times their ideas are really cool <laughs> and you know my creativity has its limits theirs are outside of my limits and so yeah totally, totally. yeah that's well it's not just really cool ideas but they're also you know if they bothered to put them in there it's ideas they at least marginally care about exactly and one of i think the most difficult tasks for a gm if you're not organized within the session zero stuff is making sure that the players and then the characters are playing actually care about the story you're telling yes. and pulling from their backstory. And this is why one of the things I typically do is when people give me a character, I require them, you know, I want a few sentences of backstory. I don't need your novella. I need a few sentences of personality. So I know generally what you're about. And I want you to give me two or three plot hooks or unanswered questions or things that you want to explore mm -hmm. in this game so I know I can make the game That's personal cool. to you. Yeah. And so if there's somebody there who's throwing out even outside of a formalized questioning, oh, hey, you know, I've got this really weird artifact and I'm not really sure where it came from or what it does, you better believe I'm using that in the plot somewhere. Um, unless they tell me it's like a plus five thing of infinite wishes, in which case yeah. I'm telling them they're not playing that character. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, no, it's, uh, it's good to have creative ideas that you can incorporate in for sure. Yeah. Um, the uh, forum that I got my uh, information for how to run a session zero off of had an idea of I mean, with a pre-written adventure, it's a little more um, accessible in that way, but um, connecting each player to an important NPC in mm. the storyline. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, at the start of our game, I did these, I, they were basically like memories or um, cutscenes kind of ideas where each character at some point in their life um, had some event that happened that brought them across a character that an NPC that would later come up in the game. And uh, a couple of them have encountered those NPCs and some of them haven't yet, but it, um, it was a way to additionally uh, link them to the story. Um, so like a couple of them were, members of one of the factions that 
exist in the world. And so they were ordered to go look into this thing. And so that was their link in. And another one like lived amongst some of these giants and was cast out and he's wondering what happened. And, you know, so they came up with their own connections as well. But um, the connection to the NPC, I thought was a great idea for just an extra sort of special um, familiarity to a world that they didn't create um, that is just theirs and, you know, makes a special moment when that character comes up. I've heard of a system, I can't remember where I read this, but that each player is required to have a list of nine NPCs, um, three close friends, three acquaintances, and three rivals, I think it was. Um, and so then I was like, that's genius. Then you have a deck of 36 NPCs you can <laughs> whip out at various times, you know, and you kind of just need a, um, a throwaway character or you, you're like, uh, their name is, uh, and you just grab from your little stack of NPCs. I thought that was clever. The, the closest idea. thing I can think of to that, I know I'm sure it exists. If I, even though I'm not familiar with the title, but I'm the closest thing I've seen to that is a few superhero games where you have mm -hmm. to des, uh, design your supervillain, or if oh, you're playing nice. supervillain, you have to design your superhero. So if you're playing Batman, you have to write out your Joker, and that right. gives the GM something to work with. But you know, something else I think that's fair to ask about in session zero is we've talked a lot about who the players are, what the players want, what the players don't want. I think it is also important for the game master to express that here as well. For yes. the game master to say, this is the kind of story I want to tell. These are the kind of topics I want to explore. These are the kinds of topics I want to avoid. Because you upset or burn out a player, your game has a problem. You upset or burn out the GM, the game is dead. And so I, as a, a someone who tends to GM far more often than I play, there are campaigns of mine that I have unintentionally killed in the past by being far too passive during session zero, where I'm just mm. consuming what they tell me and I'm not telling them, you know what, that's a cool character idea, but I just, the story doesn't interest me. You know, that's just not what I feel like exploring. And yes, it is our story, but part of our story is it's the game master's story as much as anyone else's. And so I would tell game masters, don't be super passive. Don't be purely cons consumptive uh, in session zero. Speak up. You know, they're the characters. You are everything they're not. You are the NPCs. You are the world. You are... And so if you're not into what's going on, all of those components suffer. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've learned over the years is that each player is there for a different reason. So I'll get like a a uh, very eloquent, long backstory. Um, and then every session they say maybe two lines. They don't, they don't really talk a lot. They don't really role play a lot, but they have this in-depth view of their character. Um, and so I would keep checking and I'm like, are you like, are you having fun? Is this, is this okay? Are you, is this good? And they're like, oh yeah, that was a great session. I'm like, you said nothing the whole time. <laughs> Why did you, you liked that? But there's just some players who love sitting and watching and thinking, and then maybe they'll write a little bit later. But then I had characters who would write me two lines. Um, and then I'd be like, so, you know, tell me a little bit more. And then as soon as I started kind of interviewing them, they were like, they had a thousand different ideas. And, and then in the game, they were just so super into it, just jumping right in. So I had to, you know, it, it, there's certain expectations you need, you know, I need one or two things at least from everybody, but each player will offer something a little bit different. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, that was a bit of a learning curve as well. Yeah, my group being brand new to like playing with each other, but also <laughs> playing the game, uh, we ended up doing um, what I ended up dubbing our post-mortem, uh, where after each session, we talk for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes about what we liked about that session, what we didn't like, what we thought we could have done better. That's a great um, idea. 
we also did it because we were streaming and we were figuring out how that worked. And so there was some technical learning as well. But um, a lot of it was about gameplay and um, those postmortems have become shorter and shorter and shorter because uh, we've found a groove eventually and, you know, figured out everybody's play style and, and what was important to them. Um, and I found that very valuable because um, as long as everyone feels comfortable, uh, not everybody's comfortable with like criticisms and things. Yeah. Uh, so that's definitely something that needs to be <laughs> a comfort zone. Um, but yeah, it was helpful for me to learn what they were feeling like during the gameplay and so a lot of it was like, you know, the pacing felt kind of off. There was a lot of like lulls and things. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I need to pick up on that some more. Okay. And so that was very helpful as a new DM and as a new group. And um, yeah, I found it really, really good on top of the uh, session zero. I uh, I find it's hard to find lulls. It's hard to notice lulls as the DM because you always have a thousand things going through your mind, and so I don't always notice when th the action is slow. Mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe if I spend a long time with one player doing one thing, I'll start to get a little antsy, like oh, this is getting boring for people. But it's it, that's a really great thing to do. Get your players to tell you when there's. Um, things slow down or whatever because sometimes yeah sometimes it's hard to be a player now because they have to sit and wait for other people to do stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know what I found is the greatest indicator of when things are starting to slow down or you've got a lull the phone comes out when you see a phone come out and if it stays out for more than a split second because someone's trying to see if work texted them then uh, yeah that's good that's, that's a good a, indicator. A I really, play online though, so there's yeah, not really oh, any I guess helping that's true. that. Yeah, especially <laughs> with cameras, that's no help. <laughs> well, we do have cameras, um, but I mean, they're looking at computer screens. What they're looking on that screen, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you don't know, especially if they're looking at the camera. You don't know if they're all tabbed. I don't so. know, not a clue. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good indicator in a live game for sure. Although, if yes. I had a real, I had a real life game. I'd probably just say no, no phones, no phones. Because I've been in real life games where people just did whatever, and th and then they're so disconnected. Like it, you create the lulls when you're mm -hmm. when you're just on your phone or your computer the whole time. Yeah. So Another I've a, question. I've got a question for you. Um, yeah. What about issues that are that happen in game that maybe you didn't have uh you didn't address during session zero maybe because either the person didn't know it was a hot button for them or um maybe they were embarrassed to even bring it up embarrassed to bring it up i don't know if there's anything you can do about that um i i think there does come a point where it is fair to ask I mean, we're not mind readers. I think there is a point where it is fair to say to someone, it is incumbent upon you to communicate these things. Now, if you're embarrassed to bring it up in session zero in front of a large group of people because there's a life story you don't want to tell, that's fine. But there's no reason you can't shoot the GM an email or a text message and say, look, I don't want to talk about why, but I just preferred if we didn't deal with this subject. You know, if you don't tell me at any point, there's something off topic, and I walk right into it. I, I mean, I'm just going to be bold. That, that's on you. Um, now, if I keep doing it, that's on me. But the first time, that's on you. Um, as for people not realizing it's a problem, or in some cases, just not even thinking the game would bring it up. I've had this happen where I knew something was an issue, but I just thought there's no way we're going to deal with this topic in this game. It's, it's just not plausible for some reason. And then all of a sudden, bam, we walk right into it. Um, I, I think at that point, it. I, I think there's a, there's a question of cook to taste on the part of the player. You know, if this is something they can grit their teeth through, then maybe you let it go and then afterward talk to either the group or the GM or somebody that you trust. Find a player you trust to be your advocate if you can't talk to the GM for some reason to say, you know, I didn't realize this was going to upset me or I didn't think this was going to even come up, but it did. I prefer it didn't come up again. If something happens 
mid-game, uh, and you cannot grit it out. I mean, this is something that just totally sets off a landmine in your head. Then once again, I don't think, because you did not at any point communicate this to anyone, you've got to find some way to express that. I mean, you have to do something of say, you know, hold up, nobody's fault. I'm not upset, you know, I'm not upset with anyone. I never mentioned this, but that's a really rough topic for me. Can we rewind the scene and have it play out without this element? Or can we rush this to an end, handle it off screen and not do it again? Um, because maybe the game master by this point needs it as a plot point or so. I, I don't know what. Uh, so it's not so easy to remove. And so you've just got to say, look, can we rush through this, do, deal with it off screen and not come back to this again? Or um, I'm not, while I have my concerns with it, that would be wildly off topic. There are some groups that use the good old X card. Uh, they place a card in the middle of the table that has an X on it. Or some people have come up with varying versions of this, of yellow card, red card, yeah. that says, you know, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable or something that just occurred bothered me. And maybe putting a pencil eraser to the, that X card and tapping it takes a little bit less courage than interrupting five boisterous people to say, I can't handle this scene. Um, but I think it is fair, once again, to place some onus of this. The group should be accommodating. The group should be polite. The group should be uh, empathetic. But the onus to communicate this is on the person that felt it because I'm not going to know. And yeah, but that's why those safety tools are so important. I think that, you know, maybe they didn't think to bring it up before. Maybe they weren't comfortable enough to bring it up before. Maybe it's a whole new group of people and they don't know how to talk to them or how they will react. And or maybe it's a brand new group at a convention that didn't get to do a session zero. And so that's where those safety tools can fill in for those gaps make things more comfortable for people, even if they don't use them. Sometimes just having them there is enough of a comfort um, for people to be able to open up more um, and not have to worry so much about what's going to happen. Is this going to be a big deal? You know, it, um, it can fill in those gaps when things don't get communicated. Um. <clears throat> I think uh, on the flip side, rules-wise, sometimes you might not cover like a certain UA or a certain specialized rule, and then it comes up in the middle of combat. Um, and I think I think you can kind of say like as long as the people at the table, this is generally understood, but some people get a little a little um, hesitant about it. That if something comes up and we haven't talked about it, like about the rules of the game then I'm, I'm the final say to just know there's no flanking rules. That's it. Or um, no, you can't take a level in, in uh, that UA ranger. Like you can't, that's just not how it works. Um, so that, that maybe needs, maybe needs to be covered. I don't think most tables really worry about it, but I have been surprised sometimes by players who are like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, um, what now? <laughs> You're gonna do what? <laughs> um, because I hadn't specifically covered one specific thing. So, so by UA, do you mean unauthorized or like uh, oh, splat sorry. content? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Unearthed Arcana is the. the oh, Unearthed Arcana. Okay. Yeah. I, I, okay. So yeah, the Unearthed Arcana. Okay, so you're talking splat book type material or? Yeah, unofficial material. Yeah. Um, okay. And not not. I mean, usually people know if it's homebrew, but if it's something published by wizards and, but not technically sure. official or sometimes too, I'm like, you can only use these two books. You can only use whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's um, that, that can get a little contentious if you weren't super clear at the start. They're like, Oh my gosh, my whole build was based on having this one spell. <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah, that can, uh, that's one thing to make sure that you, that you know very well. That's something that came up in my session zero because I I knew that I would not know all of the rules. And so I was like, you know what? We're going to figure this out together um, as we go. We're just going to limit to the three core books. If it's not in the three core D&D &D 5e books, then 
it's not in this game Too at bad. because <laughs> I don't know it and I don't know how to balance things and I don't know how to do that on the fly. Um, that's something that needs a lot of research and time. And if we come across a rule that I don't know at the moment, I'm going to decide something. That's how we're going to do it for that game. And then afterwards, I'm going to figure out what the real rule is and we're going to do it that way. <laughs> or yeah. if I don't like that way, we're going to do it the way we decided. Um, but that was just more of a personal comfort thing because it's like, yeah, I know I'm not going to remember all these rules. <laughs> I've occasionally in Session Zero set up um, a person to who's like the designated rule rules lawyer, not not like rules lawyer, but um, right, the, the person to look it up. Like if I if I'm like I don't know, but I would like to jump to the next turn of combat. Can you check that out? Mm. Um, that's a good idea. Sometimes, sometimes I make the call, but sometimes, you know, we have a, enough, enough leeway to look it up. So that sometimes is helpful. Um, especially cause I don't know about you guys, but I have players who know the rules better than me. Um, especially when it comes to, to the player like build, they'll be like, Oh no, 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 you, you can't do that because I did blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Oh, you're right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously of course, ultimately, you're the final say, so. Yeah, there's something that Callie brought up that is an interesting point, which is that when you are dealing with a one-shot or a con game or something like that, a session zero doesn't exist. And so there are a lot of things you would normally get out in the session zero that you just plain don't have the time to get to. Um now, some of that I think you can skirt around by the fact that in most one-shots or most ones I've played in, the GM's going to bring pre-generated characters. And so that's going to save you a little bit of the, the difficulty yeah. that you would otherwise. But things like what are topics you don't want dealt with, what are topics you want dealt with, some of these other sort of metagame questions, not about the mechanics of what's going on, um, or even backstory or personality, but things that come down to purely out-of-character, metagame, table-side issues, they don't get covered. And while I think it's maybe a good idea to ask, is there anything you guys want to avoid in this game? If you're sitting there at a table with six total strangers and half the table's got social anxiety because welcome to gamers, uh, then I don't know what's going to come out. And so I think it is fair to, at that point, say, you know, we're going to use some slightly different tools to handle this, whether that's something like an X card or, or whatever it is. Uh, or in the case of the GM, I think the GM ought to take a little bit of leadership in, first of all, in their plot. I mean, keep it as tame as you can. I'm not saying it needs to be toothless, but, you know... Maybe there's certain kinds of violence that don't need to occur, particularly in great detail. Uh, you know, maybe the victim of that brutal murder doesn't need to be a little child. I mean, whatever it is, you can you can back away from some topics without. I think, and I, I'm not an advocate of making your game toothless, uh, but I think you can use some decency there to avoid some of those issues. And watch the table if you notice somebody. Mm -hmm. And their face suddenly changes and their disposition suddenly changes or, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, ease off that scene a bit. Um, even if you don't want to call them out and say, hey, are you okay? Because they may not want to be put on the spot like that. You can at least ease off where you're going with this. Uh, but once again, to Callie's point, yeah, it does take a very different tool set for a group of people you don't know and did not have the opportunity to even have these discussions with. Yeah, I, I actually, I have a story about that because I ran Night Witches, um, a four session game. Um, it's a Powered by the Apocalypse game about the, uh, the all-female Russian bomber unit in the, in the World War II. Um, so as I was researching for this game, I don't know if you know, but World War II really sucked. And uh, in particular, being <laughs> living in the USSR in uh, at that time period was extremely harsh and difficult, and the realities of life were just really heinous. Um, and so, as I was going through it, I was like, "This is like this has to cover some really intense topics, like starvation and and torture and death of like everyone you know." And I was like, 
just so you know, like if you at any point, I, I put it right out there at any point, if this is too much, um, please just stop me. I will stop our stream. I will back things up. I'll do whatever we need to, but I know that this is going to be rough. And there was points where character uh, players were crying. They were okay. But I always, I always checked in at the end just to make sure. Um, and if I, I had a couple of pre-written pieces that were really hard hard topics and I had the players approve them ahead of time and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, if you're dealing with really dark and difficult topics, I think just leaving it right out there, like you are able to stop this because that gives them that comfort, right? You said it to every single person at the table. Um, I'm not going to make you sit through something horrible. And then they know they have the right and the authority to do that. So we're just about finished with this episode. Any final thoughts on uh, session zeros that you would like to uh, to share with us? Do them. <laughs> yeah. I, I seriously cannot emphasize enough. I've been banging this drum as long as I've been doing the podcast. Since before I was doing the podcast, and I will bang it as long as I have enough of a brain to game. Uh, you would not believe how many problems can be avoided by a correct session zero or a well-structured session zero. And I would wager for most groups, if you look at the reason your games have fallen apart or your campaigns have died, you can probably track it back to something that could have or should have been handled before the game even started. Yeah, I think it's also a really good way to like, start the excitement about the game or deepen the excitement about the game. If it's um, also a session where you're like collaborating with the players in terms of how they fit in the world, how do they fit together? You know, my players in particular started to get really excited because it's like, Oh, this is real. These characters are starting to feel real. There's some real substance here. And like, we're, I feel like the world is mine and I'm here. And so it, it helps avoid problems and <laughs> encourage the uh, in-depth involvement in, in the world. Um, I think too, that sometimes it's a place to find out where players just might not be a good fit. If you are with someone new and you're like, oh, I don't think this is gonna work, um, to follow your gut and just maybe see if there's another way they can be involved at a different table or something like that. It's it's okay sometimes, and they probably feel it too if they're not really a good fit with everybody at the table. Um, yeah, so uh, I have one one other one other little tidbit that I found a couple weeks ago. Uh, a game called Microscope, where you basically create the backstory of a world. If you want your characters to be super involved, you can create like the long thousands of years history of a of a world or a setting with this with microscope um, and it's super duper fun. So you could do like a session 0.5. I don't know. You could also do that if you want, you know, help creating, if you have trouble with world building, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, it is. There's <laughs> another big one for that microscope and there's a second title and I'm blanking out on what it's called, but it's the same thing. It's meant to uh, walk you through world building and I, I can't so think cool. what it's called now. We had a blast making our, we made a real, real weird world and it was super fun. Oh, neat. I'm going to have to look at that. Highly <laughs> recommend. <laughs> All right. So tell everybody where they can find you. Um, so I'm Scrim. Uh, you can find me on the Shadowcasters Network every other Monday playing Join the Anarchy and sometimes various other short games as well. I'm Callie, um, online usually Aethne Fire. You can find me on Twitter at AppleXSauce or on Twitch at twitch.tv slash riff and rebel where I DM Storm King's Thunder. And I'm Dan and you can find our stuff at either feartheboot.com or if you want to look for our actual play stuff that is at no W's just ap.feartheboot.com All right. Well, thank you, Scrim, Dan, and Callie for joining us and hosting this week. Um, thank you to Young One Two 
uh, Angry Cheese Toast and uh, Palmer for your chat questions and uh, the active chat that was going on. Uh, next week's hosts will be Pedro, Chad, and Nick. Uh, thank you all so much for watching, and we will see you next week.